Well, good morning. Good to see each one of you here on this beautiful Lord's Day morning. If you have your Bible with you, I would invite you to open to the passage that our brother Richard read from a few moments ago, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we will be there in just a few minutes. I appreciate our brother Matthew and his selection of songs this morning, especially that last song. I don't know about you, that's one of my favorite songs. I think uh, we probably all have memories tied to different songs and, and, uh, that we have sung through the years, but I remember that song as being the song that my younger brother uh, obeyed the gospel uh, with, and so that's always been a special song to me for that uh, very reason, but it gives us a good message, I think. And I hope that you could sing that song with all honesty in your heart, that things are well with your soul. I know that there are so many of us, and this is kind of the point of our lesson, what we're going to be thinking about this morning, but there are so many of us here in this congregation that are dealing with so many different challenges and problems and issues uh, of a health variety and uh, just emotions are all over the place and all kinds of things that we are dealing with right now in our individual lives and collectively as a family of God here. And even in those times, it is good for us to remember that things are well with our soul as long as we are right with God and we enjoy a relationship and a fellowship with Him that all the things that we experience, all these external circumstances that come our way in this life, that we can still be at peace with God. And we can still sing even in those very dire times that things are well with our soul. Human suffering comes in a variety of forms. We know this. If you have lived very long, you have probably experienced some kind of suffering. And if you haven't experienced suffering in your life, I would just say to you, you haven't lived very long. But human suffering comes in all kinds of forms. There is physical suffering. There is mental suffering. There is emotional suffering. There is relational suffering, and certainly there is spiritual suffering. Human suffering comes in a variety of intensity. Sometimes we suffer very lightly. Sometimes the suffering that we experience in this life, we could say it's kind of a moderate kind of suffering. And sometimes even those among us here in this congregation, in this church family, have experienced what we would describe as being suffering that is very severe. Human suffering comes in a variety of durations. Sometimes we suffer for a very little time. Sometimes we suffer kind of a medium term, and then sometimes it's a long term. Sometimes it's even a lifetime of suffering here under the sun. And while every person's experience with suffering is unique, there is one truth that ties all of us together, at least again, all of, all of us who have lived for any period of time together, and that is this truth that we all suffer. We all suffer in some way. We all suffer to some degree. We all suffer for some kind, for some time, and that is true, of course, because we live in a world that has been cursed by sin. So how should we who are Christians respond to suffering? To help us think about that question, to help us answer that question this morning, we're going to read and reflect on the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As I want to look at this particular text here in the last half of 2 Corinthians 4 and think about that question, what should our response be to suffering? I want to consider or or give for your consideration this morning three 
right responses to suffering that the Apostle Paul gives us in this text. We're going to focus most of our lesson this morning on the last three verses in this text that again our brother Richard read just a few moments ago, verses 16 through 18. But to put this into its proper context, into really the context of the life of the Apostle Paul, I want us to back up to verse 7. And so you can read along in your Bible or on your tablet, your screen, or you can read along here as I have the text on the screen this morning. And so beginning at verse 7 in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says this, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Here in verses 8 through 11 in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul said that the suffering that he experienced for Jesus Christ, for being an apostle of Christ, for preaching the gospel of Christ, for living out the gospel of Christ in his life, he said that kind of suffering, it was diverse. It took on many different forms. It was intense. It was continual. It was something that was constant, not only in his life, but in the life of the apostles. Maybe to some degree, in some way, even in the life of those who were not apostles, but those who were messengers of God, those who were speaking the good news of Jesus Christ around the world at this time. And although, of course, here in this text, he does not give us the details of all of that suffering, we know from chapter 11 in this same book that he goes into some great detail there about all the things that he suffered as being a Christian. He was kind of doing that almost tongue-in-cheek, it seemed like. He was wanting those people who were saying, hey, Paul is not a real apostle. He was wanting to give them evidence, I am an apostle. I have evidence on my physical body that I am an apostle of Jesus Christ that he was stoned, that he was beaten, that he was shipwrecked, that, that he spent much time and concern for Christians all over the known world at that particular time. And again, he doesn't give us the details there, but if you want to read that, you can on your own. And so I bring all that up to say this when we come to our text that we're thinking about this morning in chapter 4, that the Apostle Paul of all people, the Apostle Paul understood suffering, didn't he? And he didn't just understand one kind of suffering. He didn't understand suffering for a specific period in his, time, in his life. But he understood suffering of all kinds and of all degrees and of all lengths. 
In fact, I'm sure maybe this is the case for other apostles, but we're not told as much information about a lot of what the apostles did after Jesus ascended back to the Father in heaven. We are told some about what the apostle Peter did. But other than him, we know the most, of course, about the apostle Paul. But Paul, of all people, understood suffering. And therefore, I would submit to you, brothers and sisters, this morning that his example in suffering and his instructions here that we're going to look at in just a moment at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 about suffering, they show us how we can follow Jesus, or we who follow Jesus rather are to rightly respond to suffering in our lives. Because Paul, yes, he's writing by inspiration of God, of the Holy Spirit of God, as we look at these last three verses in chapter 4 this morning. But I know for certain, at least in my mind, (laughs) that he wasn't just writing these words, he had experienced these words. He wasn't just giving us some good guidance and counsel and wisdom and instruction about how we can respond to suffering because the Apostle Paul himself responded to suffering in his own life in these three ways that we're going to talk about from this text. And so, again, as I said to you at the beginning of our sermon this morning, all of us experience suffering. My suffering may not be like your suffering, and your suffering may not be be like my suffering. But we all understand suffering to some degree, in some way. And so how do we look at that? How do we view that? How do we respond to that when it comes in our life? The first right response that the Apostle Paul gives us here in our text is to not lose heart. Notice what he says here at the very beginning of verse 16, he says, as he has talked about all these things that he has suffered and how he has not given up, he has not given out, he has not given in, he is still walking with Jesus Christ. Here's his conclusion, at least the beginning of his conclusion to all of that. At verse 16, therefore he says, we do not lose heart. To lose heart is the idea of becoming discouraged. It is the idea maybe even of having fear about something that we have to experience or fear of something that we don't know about that is coming in the future. To lose heart is the idea of being weary or weak. Maybe we have fought and fought and fought some particular ailment or disease or issue in our life for so long and we are just about given out. We just feel like we can't put one foot in front of the other. And it occurs when one becomes so weary and so fearful and so discouraged and so weak that despair oftentimes sets in. And eventually, if we're not careful, we can get to the point where we just give up and we quit. We quit. Because if we allow it to do so, suffering that is diverse, suffering that is intense, suffering that is something that is constant that we have to live with from day to day, hour to hour, it can lead us very easily to lose heart. It can lead us to become so discouraged and despondent that we quit. And the Apostle Paul is encouraging us as we experience suffering in our life to not do that. His first admonition, his first instruction here in this context is, therefore, do not lose heart. So how do we not lose heart? What is it that will prevent us from giving up in times of trial in our life? Whether they are light trials, whether we think they are heavy trials, whether they last for just a day or two, or whether it's something that goes on for weeks or months or years, how do we deal with that? What will prevent us from giving up in times of trial? It is, I believe, our 
faith. Notice what the Apostle Paul said going back in our text here to verse 13. Let's read these verses again. He says, but having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of of God. Here is the Apostle Paul, as, as we have just read a few moments ago, uh, back in verses 8, 9, 10, and 11, as he is talking about all the ways in which he had suffered, all the suffering that he experienced for being a Christian. And then he talks about, we have this same spirit of faith. It is, as he wrote here in verse 13, faith that God is real. It is faith that God's word is real as we've already thought about this morning in our song, scripture, and prayer service at the nine o'clock hour that God's word is real. God's word is powerful. God's word is active in our lives. It is from verse 14 as Paul wrote there. It is faith that God's promise of raising us from the dead is real. We have not experienced that obviously yet. But we know that God is a faithful God. We know that we can trust God, that he has a stellar track record. He has never reneged on any promise that he has ever made. And we know because God has promised us that we too will be raised, just as he raised our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we too will be raised from the dead one day. It is faith, belief, that God's promise is real. From verse 15, it is faith that our suffering somehow fits into God's eternal purpose for all people to be saved. And ultimately, all of that results in God being glorified. For all of us who are Christians, we, we know that we're involved in that process in some way. Maybe we don't know all the ins and outs of that. We can just have a, a very narrow, a very limited focus or perspective. But God sees the whole picture. And it is having faith that even as we suffer in whatever way it is, whether it's suffering for being a follower of Jesus Christ, whether it's just suffering because we live in a world that is dominated by sin, we can know, we can have confidence that our suffering somehow fits into God's eternal plan, that all people would be saved. And the result of that is that God is going to be honored and he is going to be glorified. I tell you what, brothers and sisters, if only we could see our suffering, whatever it is, however intense it is, however long it is, if only we could see the suffering that we experience in this life, in this light that Paul is describing here in this text, I'm convinced that we would be people who would never lose heart. Would we become discouraged from time to time? Sure, the apostle Paul did as well. Would we get to the point in life maybe where we are tired, where we are weak? Yes, but not to the point that we would just totally say, I'm done. And it is our faith that allows us to not lose heart. Paul was not the only one who spoke about this, of course, in connection to the trials that we face in this life. The James, the writer of the book of James, made this observation at the very beginning of his book about wisdom concerning life and suffering especially. He said in James chapter one at verse two, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking 
in nothing. I want us to kind of take the words of several scriptures here and put them together. Uh, the Apostle Peter also writes to Christians, to those who are followers of Christ that were suffering and suffering for the cause of Christ as he himself often did. In 1 Peter chapter 1 at verse 6, in telling us, telling them and us how we should respond to those types of suffering, how we should view that in our own life, beginning at verse 6 in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter said, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then over into chapter two, chapter two is he talks about uh, having to suffer maybe as a slave back during this time and having masters that don't care about what is right and what is good and they're not treating you well. He just kind of makes the observation, I think, about suffering in general. He says at verse 19, For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Lots of things, obviously, we could say about these three passages. But what I want you to get, kind of the common message or theme that I see in three, these three texts is this, that when we suffer, again, we all suffer in life. And when we suffer, we must patiently endure that suffering, as hard as that is many times. Because of our faith, we know that it is our ultimate goal. It is for our ultimate good and God's ultimate glory. We may not be able to see the whole picture, and oftentimes we are not able to see the whole picture as God is. But let us have faith in God. Let us not be people who lose heart as we suffer in this life. Coming back to our text, a second right response that we want to pull out of these few verses is this, that when we suffer, we need to focus on changing our inner being. And the Apostle Paul goes on to talk about that, of course, here at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. God created us as two connected Sometimes competing halves that form a whole, a whole person. There is what Scripture describes here in this particular text and many other texts throughout the New Testament especially. As Paul many times will talk to us about our inner man and our outer man, our inner self and our outer self. And the outer man or the outer person is a physical body that everyone can see in its current form right now in this world that has been affected by sin, this body is temporary. It's one day going to die. And thus it decays over time. But the inner man is the part that maybe we can't see. It is what is often referred to in Scripture as the heart. It is the soul and the spirit that perhaps, again, no one except God and ourselves can truly see. Maybe we can see effects of that. We can see some evidence of who this person really is, but we can truly only see that for ourselves. 
And yet the inner man is very much real. And the inner man should be growing even as our outer man is decaying. Maybe it's going the opposite direction. But our inner man, Paul says, ought to be growing. It ought to be thriving over time. And it can even as we suffer in this life. And so God has created us with an inner person in a body, the outer man. And I think if we're really honest as we think about our culture and think about our world and maybe even as we think about ourselves sometimes, that most people's focus in this life is on what? It is on changing the outer man (laughs) rather than changing the inner man. And yet in the New Testament, God repeatedly says we have to be people who are doing the exact opposite of what our world is doing. We have to be people who have a totally different mindset about this than people that are living around us, people that we interact with every day. We've got to do the opposite. When we suffer especially, we may be tempted to focus on our outer man. And I'm not saying when you have a health issue, you don't go to the doctor. You don't seek treatments. You don't don't take prescriptions. You, You don't try to do things that will help your outer person But when we suffer, we may be tempted to focus on our outer man because we feel him fading away. But in those times, the Apostle Paul says to us here in this text, we must be even more diligent to focus on our inner man, to focus on our inner person. So how do we change our inner self? How do we change our inner inner being? Well, it's with daily renewal. In this text, the word renew, as the Apostle Paul says, that our outer man is decaying and yet our inner man is being renewed by day by day. In this text, the word renew means, according to several Bible dictionaries, the idea of renovating, the idea of new growth and strength. Maybe, maybe you have been involved in a, some kind of process of renovating. Maybe you have renovated your house. If you have done that or currently in the process of doing that, I know that can be a very tedious thing. I've never gone through that myself, really don't want to go through that. It is oftentimes a very painful thing, isn't it? It's oftentimes you have all of these delays and things that you didn't expect to come up. But that is the idea of the Apostle Paul talking here about even though our outer man is decaying, it is dying, that our inner man is being renewed, that it is being renovated that there is new growth taking place within us, that there is new strength that we are gaining even as we deal with suffering in our life. So how do we do that? Well, we do that by renewing our minds with God's life-changing word. I want you to think about a few things that are written elsewhere in the New Testament for just a moment. In Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 2. The Apostle Paul writes here and he instructs us to do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. As as Paul is, again, drawing some conclusions on everything that he's written here up until this point in the book of Romans. 
and reminding us of the mercy and the grace of God that has been shown us in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of our sins that we have in Jesus Christ. And we are supposed to live like verse one. We're supposed to present even our physical bodies to God as a living and a holy sacrifice, something that is acceptable to him. And a part of doing that is, he says, to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. When we focus our minds on God, when we focus our minds on God's word, rather than focusing our minds on our present suffering, it has a way of changing us. It has a way of transforming us. We no longer have a this world mindset, but now we have a that world mindset. And that mindset helps to equip us and empower us to please God by doing his will. And so I think there is very much a connection here between verses 1, 2, and 3 that as our minds are being changed, as our minds are being renewed by day by day, as our inner man is being renewed day by day by the word of God, then our lives, our actions, our words, our attitudes, everything about who we are is going to be renewed, is going to be changed. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, as he had just encouraged those brethren and us not to walk like the Gentiles, not to live like them. He said, beginning at verse 20, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Even as we suffer, Paul says, we can continue to be renewed inwardly. And we can continue to be renewed inwardly by continuing to hear Christ, by continuing to be like Christ, by continuing to learn of Jesus Christ, which Paul says that ultimately results in us putting off the old man and putting on the new. Some similar instructions, of course, in the companion passage over in the book of Colossians in chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 8, Paul says here, But now you also put, all, put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self who is being renewed, there's our word again, to a true knowledge, According to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. And so rather than letting again our old man, our old self, dictate our response to suffering, and maybe before we became a Christian, as we suffered, as we experienced suffering in life, maybe we would have lashed out in anger at someone or anger at God. Maybe we would have been people who let that anger boil inside of us to the point that it came out as wrath. Maybe we would, there would be evil speech that would come from our mouth because we are suffering. Maybe there will be lies that we're just not dealing with reality and the reality of our situation. But Paul says, rather than letting our old man dictate our response to suffering, we must continue to renew our inner man with a true knowledge of Jesus Christ and thus respond to suffering as not only the Apostle Paul did, but respond to suffering as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did. 
And so it's very difficult for us because I think it's just kind of our natural human tendency. When our outer man, when our physical body is suffering in some way, we want to direct all of our time and all of our energy and all of our attention and all of our focus, and yes, sometimes even all of our money to making our outer man better. But here is the Apostle Paul in our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, or 2 Corinthians chapter 4 instructing us that when we suffer, we must focus on changing our inner being. And then thirdly and finally, the right response to suffering in our life is to see with eyes of faith rather than eyes of flesh. And I think that really encapsulates these first two points that we've already said this morning. But notice what the apostle goes on to say here at verse 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. When we suffer, we tend, I think, just as human beings, to see our situation through fleshly eyes. We see our suffering, my suffering, as that which is very severe in intensity, that which is long in length, even if it is something that could be classified as sort of mild and maybe it only lasts for a very short while. But even if it is true that we must suffer severely and we must suffer intensely and we must suffer for the rest of our earthly life, even if all those things are true, here is the Apostle Paul saying to us in these two verses that we must see our suffering through eyes of faith. He says about all kinds of suffering here in verse 17, about all kinds of affliction that we experience in this life that it is momentary and it is light. I know it doesn't often feel like that. Uh, Someone said a long time ago, this, this particular saying has stuck with me, but you know, as you talk about maybe having surgery, you know, and somebody will ask you, well, is it major surgery that you are having? And you may say, well, it's major because I'm having it. You know, if you're having surgery, that's kind of minor surgery. It may be something that's very major, something that's very involved. If I'm having surgery, it is major. And that's often the way we look at all kinds of suffering that we experience in this life. That no, this is not momentary. No, this is not light. But notice the Apostle Paul's perspective. He's not looking at his suffering or the Corinthian suffering or our suffering today through the eyes of flesh. He's looking at it through eyes of faith. And he says... The suffering we all experience in this life is momentary and light compared to what is coming next. And that this momentary light affliction that we are suffering now, it is working for our eternal good and for our eternal glory. It is a comparison here to that which is eternal. Though our suffering often seems long, it is momentary, Paul says, when compared to the eternal nature of glory that we will enjoy in the age to come. Though our suffering often seems very heavy for us to bear, Paul says, no, in fact, it is light when compared to the weight, the real substance of the glory that we will receive in Jesus Christ, that eternal glory. And so to see with eyes of faith is to see what is unseen with eyes of flesh. 
It is to see, as Paul goes ahead to talk about in the next chapter, it is to see our new eternal heavenly house, if you will, that will never suffer as we put off this earthly tent, this earthly body, and now we are raised with an incorruptible body, eternal, that will live forever. To see with eyes of faith is to see what is unseen with eyes of flesh. It is to see that we are going to be at home with Christ where suffering will not exist. And Paul talks about that, his desire, and should be the desire of all of us who are Christians in verses 6 through 8 in the next chapter, that we want to be pleasing to the Lord, whether we're absent from this body or at home in this body, whether we're absent from the Lord or at home with the Lord. But the Apostle Paul, you remember, might remember said in Philippians chapter 1 that his desire really was to go and to be with Christ. And so as we suffer, let us continue to do what the Apostle Paul instructs us to do and reminds us to do here in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Even as we suffer, let us continue to be people who walk by faith. Faith in God, faith in God's word, faith in God's promise. Faith in God's providence and his care and his love for us as we walk through this world of suffering. Let us be people who are walking by faith and not by sight. Because when we compare our present suffering to our future glory, we will then, I believe, see it with eyes of faith rather than eyes of flesh. As our brother Richard mentioned in his prayer this morning, as we all know, there are so many among us, among our family here, that are suffering in a variety of ways right now. In fact, I had an, another sermon uh, really prepared for this morning early last week, but got the news about our sister Becky on Wednesday, and I thought, I, I need to change. I think this is the sermon that I need, and I think this is a sermon that we need right now. Because it's not only those of us who are sitting in this audience this morning and those who are identified as members of this congregation that are suffering, but there are people that we love that are suffering as well in a variety of ways. And if we and they are Christians, I hope something that I've said in this lesson this morning will be of help to you, help to all of us. That God doesn't promise to take our suffering away from us, but he does tell us how we can live through that and how we should respond to that. And even in those times of suffering in our life, I'm telling you that the world is watching us, Christians, and seeing how we're going to respond to that. And we can be a living testimony, if you will, to the gospel of Jesus Christ just by the way that we respond. What about you this morning as we're about to sing our song of invitation and encouragement, Victory in Jesus? There is great victory in Jesus there is victory that will last forever because Jesus came to this world and he lived like one of us. He experienced life. He experienced suffering to a greater degree than many of us will ever experience in our earthly life. And he showed us the way. He led the path for us. But because he laid down his life on the cross and took it up again, he had victory over death and the devil. And he has invited all of us who follow him to come and to share in that victory, even now as we suffer but to have our set, sights set on the victory that is to come, that eternal victory of being at home with him. 
Do you have victory in Jesus this morning? If you don't, we would encourage you to respond to the invitation to make Jesus your Lord and your Savior, your Master, and say that you want to give your will to Him. You can come and confess your faith that He is the Christ, the Son of God. And repenting of your sins, we'll be happy to baptize you into Jesus Christ and you can be victorious. But it may be that you are already a Christian and and you are suffering in some way in your life and you feel like that suffering is really weighing you down, is really pulling you away from God and maybe God's people. To remember as we sing these words in just a minute, there is victory in Jesus. Your physical condition may not improve any because you are serving Jesus and walking with him. Your outer man, in the words of Paul, may be decaying, and maybe there's nothing that you or the doctors or anybody can do about that. But you can have victory in Jesus because your inner man is being renewed day by day. However, we may be of help with you. Examine your own heart and your own life, and if you need to respond to the invitation of Christ, do that as we stand and as we sing.